podcast dedicated to all my fellow educators out there who are trying to balance all the demands placed on the contemporary educator. I live on the unceded territories of the Lekwungen peoples of the Esquimalt and Songhees nations. So this podcast is actually dedicated to all of the new teachers out there, people who are just going to be starting their careers. Maybe you've already got a year or two under your belt. Maybe you're going into student teaching or you're starting brand new in this this coming fall. Basically, this is such a weird year. Basically, um, we're all new teachers this next year because we have absolutely no idea how to move forward. Um, A lot of us are still kind of sitting in this weird limbo where we don't actually know what September is going to bring. And in other cases, we do know what September is going to bring, and that's absolutely terrifying. And so I know there's a lot of folks, particularly in some of some states, where they know they're going back to face-to-face learning in the fall, and um, it feels like a, not only a daunting task, but also really dangerous and scary. And so um, I'm going to do my best in this podcast to really talk about all the different ways um, in which we're all going to be working in the fall, but also I want this to be relevant to folks who are going back face-to-face or maybe who are starting online learning. So some of this stuff is going to be applicable to one modality and um, maybe not so much to another. Some of it is just going to be like lifelong tips, things that I really wish somebody had told me when I first started teaching. Um, we're doing it multimodal here in Canada right now. Our numbers for COVID have actually been increasing over the past couple of weeks here in BC. So I'm not really sure what the fall is going to look like, but as of our last update in June, um, we were told that after Labor Day, our Labor Day, um, so the first week of September, we're gonna be going back. Students will be in part-time, so they'll be in like half-time, like Mondays and Wednesdays will be one group, Tuesday, Thursday will be another group, and Friday will be online learning. Whether or not that changes, I don't know. Chances are it will probably change. But so I'm just gonna kind of like, highlight some of the things that I plan to do come September. And if you like them, cool, try them out. Let me know how it goes for you. Like I said, we're all new teachers right now. This is gonna be a really bizarre year for me because I usually go into my September feeling relatively confident, not always relatively prepared, but confident. And uh, so this year, I don't think I'm gonna feel confident or prepared. So I'm just gonna kind of let you guys know what it is that I'm doing and um, hopefully that will also give you some inspiration, or it'll tell you a whole bunch of things that you don't want to do, and that's fine too. Uh, So just to kind of get started, the biggest and most important tip that I can give you as a new teacher is to, as quickly as possible, find other like-minded people in your school. It doesn't mean you have to be like friends with everybody, and it doesn't even mean that the people you find necessarily have to be your friends outside of school, but If you can find other people who think like you do, who structure their classes similarly, and maybe even see classroom management strategies in a similar way, it makes it that much easier to bounce ideas off of someone. This last year, well, the last couple of years, I started at a new school three years ago now, and um, I was really lucky. So I very, very quickly, I found some people I had worked with briefly in the past, and They kind of brought me in. They'd already been working together for a long time and had um, a bunch of experience at the school that I was starting at. So then they could kind of fill me in on school culture and practice so that I kind of knew what I was getting into that way because every school is going to have its own culture. And you want to very quickly identify if that culture aligns with your own value system. 
And this is another tip, um, kind of, it's you know part of the same tip. Find your people, but also find a school that fits with your culture and find the people who respond well to that too. And I know that there's, in some American schools, they actually pair you up with a mentor teacher. That's such a cool idea. I've never heard of that. Um, I, I mean, there might be schools in Canada that do it. We didn't um, at any of the schools that I've been to. But if your mentor teacher aligns with you, that's going to be super helpful. So that's awesome. That's really great. If your mentor teacher doesn't necessarily align with you, that's okay too. It's important to not get wrapped up in the they do it that way, so I have to do it that way kind of mentality. And I know as a new teacher, that was one thing that I had a really difficult time with. I would come into a new school and here in Victoria, when I first started teaching, it was a long time before you would get a continuing contract. So when I started, I was either on temp contracts or long-term, what we call TOC, teacher on call contracts. So I often felt as though I was trying to do what was expected of me. And different schools might have different expectations. Of course, the expectation is always to deliver the curriculum in an interesting and dynamic way. Um, But depending on the school culture and who you're interacting with, there can be this weird sense of conformity where you feel as though you have to conform to what one person is doing or um, what a more senior teacher might be doing. And that's just not necessary. Chances are, if you're a brand new teacher, you've picked up some really great tips in teacher college and you are really focused right now, hopefully on like social justice and you have a new lens through which to see in, you know, decolonizing and indigenizing education and including, um, you know, black and indigenous people of color in your, to your curriculum. And so don't overlook that, that there are some folks who might've been doing it one way for a long time and they might have a lot of confidence in how they're approaching their material, but chances are you have a lot to offer and you probably are aware of a lot of resources the teachers who have been doing it for a long time maybe aren't aware of. So this last year I had a student teacher working with me and she brought in so many great resources that I hadn't heard of and it really helped me to revamp my curriculum too. Just you know, try to make sure and remember, try to remember that the amount of time that you've been teaching for doesn't actually determine how good of a teacher you are. There's also this weird misconception, I think, that young teachers are inexperienced and experience and age aren't actually directly correlated. You can have a teacher who, um, you know, started teaching later in life and People can have all these assumptions that they have this wealth of knowledge and they may be feeling really insecure and unsure how to move forward and need some support. So you don't want to overlook the fact that they might also need some support. Then on the other end of the spectrum, like I started teaching really young. So my first practicum, I was 20 years old. So I came into it having already worked with young children for a number of years. I started working with young kids when I was 16 and I had um, done a ton of workshops and things like that through my undergrad degree, not my teaching degree, my undergrad degree that focused on working with adolescents. So I felt pretty confident coming in, but every school that I came to, because I started so young, my first contract, I was 21 and, um, you know, I'm not that old now. And so 
every time I'd get a new contract at a new school, I was going through the same thing all over again, where people would make these assumptions that I didn't really know what I was doing and that I needed people to tell me how to do it better. And that's ageism, right? There's this sense of superiority and um, a sense of like young people don't know how to do it. I have to impart my wisdom. And I just want to say like if you work with children or youth and you have that mentality, maybe that's not the best fit because you should be coming into your classes wondering what can they teach me as much as I can teach them. So if you're coming into it thinking, oh, I, I am the bearer of all knowledge and they need to just take in all of my knowledge, their cup I need to fill, then you're missing a really crucial part of teaching. And I was getting a lot of people doing that kind of thing to me. So one example, when I first started at the Youth Custody Center, I had done some work in prison theater already. And I had done a lot of work in theater for social justice. And I had already been volunteering at the Youth Custody Center for a year. So I already knew the young people that I was, well, maybe not quite a year, but I already knew the young people I was working with. Shortly after I started, uh, one of the staff members that I worked with I was saying all this really negative stuff about the line staff there. And the line staff were the ones who brought the young people to and from their activities. They sat with them on unit. Um, and many of our line, line staff were phenomenal people. Like there was one guy, and this is just a side note, there was one guy who fully brought in three slow cookers one time, hooked them all up in each different unit. He borrowed slow cookers from his friends to make pulled pork with the kids. Like, it was just so lovely. Like, he just, he went and bought the pork himself. He did it all himself, brought in all the ingredients, had no funding from, from the center at all. But he'd been talking about his pulled pork from a barbecue, and the kids were like, that sounds so good. So he just did that. One of his shifts, he just brought it in. Anyway, amazing people. So when I'm hearing this person talking negatively about all the line staff and how they don't do anything with the young people, after having volunteered there for a year, I saw the line staff in a really different way. They didn't just bring students to my class and drop them off. I would go and meet with them over in their unit when I was a volunteer. And oftentimes, like if I was playing board games or something with the students, the line staff would be playing too. Or when I was running slam poetry workshops with them, the line staff would be writing alongside us. And they were very engaged and very connected and quite often had these inside jokes with the students and like... I corrected this person who worked very minimally. Like, I think their time was like maybe six hours a week or eight hours a week and just in the mornings. I corrected this person and said, actually, I think the line staff are, are pretty engaged. We're really lucky here. They're all trauma-informed, which wasn't the case at the other custody centers in BC. And they work really hard to make sure that the young people feel nurtured and cared for as opposed to feeling like inmates and in a very condescending way she responded to me by saying honey you've got rose-colored glasses on and I've never really forgotten that because I couldn't fathom her saying that to one of my more senior colleagues somebody who had been at the custody center for a while it was almost as though my age gave her permission to assume that I was incapable or that I didn't have, I was too naive. So it was interesting, you know, to have that kind of dynamic. And I've had it several times since I've dealt with ageism 
quite a bit in my career and, and I know a lot of new teachers deal with this too. So all of that backstory and all of that rambling, just to say like, you know what you're doing. Don't let anybody tell you you don't know what you're doing because you're gonna come in with your own experiences, your own knowledge and your own frame of reference and that is just as valuable as someone who's been doing the same job in the same classroom for 20 years. It's worth it to shake things up and that's okay. It's okay for them to feel uncomfortable with what you know. And typically that's where it's coming from. It's coming from a place where they're uncomfortable feeling as though you're you're gonna start shaking things up because change for some people is very scary. But we are in an age right now where that's what we need. We need people to shake it up. We need change. We can't be just falling in line and doing the status quo every single year. So. If that's happening, if you're noticing that there's a colleague doing that, just as as easy as it is to say and a lot more difficult to do, try to brush it off and find the people who value you for you because those people aren't gonna care how old you are. Those people aren't going to care how long you've been doing this for. They're gonna trust your instincts. And that's really important to just have the confidence, to have people who can help you have the confidence to, um, do what you need to do and trust your own instincts because chances are your instincts are pretty good. With that said, you know, you're going to have times when you are not sure how to proceed, but that's not just for new teachers. Every teacher has times when they don't really know how to proceed. And so it's okay to get it wrong, to make mistakes in your classroom, to make mistakes with your colleagues, it's okay to not always have the answer. And I think this is one thing that I noticed, particularly with student teachers, and I was this way too when I was a student teacher. If a student asked me a question that I didn't know the answer to, I really didn't wanna say, I don't know. <laughs> now I'm very comfortable saying I don't know, probably too comfortable saying I don't know, but students, um, they respond really well to that because we don't expect them to have all the answers all the time. and they need to learn quickly that we're human. And it's okay for us to not have all the answers all the time. So admitting that you're wrong and just saying, I don't know, or, hey, remember that thing I told you yesterday? I actually looked it up and um, this is here's the correct information and correcting yourself. It's okay to do that. And it, it'll show your students how to do it themselves. It'll model it for them. And that's really important because Basically, all we do all day is we model behavior, we model communication and like all these different little nuances that students are picking up on. You know, kindergarten, really elementary and primary grades in particular, they're picking up on these things like sponges, right? They're just absorbing all of it. I know that it's difficult to do that as a new teacher, especially because young people, I don't know what it's like as much in elementary school, but I know in high school, they can be pretty youth ruthless to new staff, but you're gonna win them over that much faster if you just admit when you're wrong. If you can't admit when you've done something wrong or said something wrong or you don't know the answer, they're gonna, you know, they'll eat you alive. So just know that it's okay to be wrong and it's also okay to share that with students. Uh, the other thing that I want to highlight is that as important as curriculum is, it is never going to be as important as the relationship that you build with students. And I know 
in BC, we have a lot of flexibility in how we deliver our curriculum. We don't have mandated books that we use. We don't have mandated materials. We have a set of skills that students need to develop. And so as long as we um, are providing students with a lot of opportunity to develop those skills, then we're meeting our curriculum standards. So we're really lucky that way because I know in some states they have really strict curriculums and um, specifically what it is that you have to teach or what resources you have to use. And so there can be a lot of pressure and I, I, I felt this more so at the start of my career than I do now, partly because we've done away now with provincial exams. But at the start of my career, we had provincial exams um, in, well, at that point it was English 12 was a provincial exam and English 10 as well. And I remember feeling a lot of pressure to make sure that I got through a huge host of material well before students finished the course so that we could have time to study as well. It, of course, it's important to make sure you're getting that material in so that students feel confident going into the exam. But chances are, that they're going to have picked up on a lot of these other skills, even if you haven't necessarily gone over it specifically related to one story or another. And so my recommendation would be take the first, well, really two to three weeks and really emphasize relationship building. That doesn't mean you can't build a relationship while also delivering curriculum, but what it does mean is that you want to kind of alter your plan a little bit so that the focus is more on relationship than it is on the curriculum. I really stand by this. And, and the reason for that is that students are going to be that much more able to digest the curriculum and understand the material that you're giving them if they have a good relationship with you. If they come to class and they like being there and they feel supported and they feel safe and calm, they're going to be able to learn everything that you're giving to them. If they're coming in and day one or day two, you're jumping the gun and you're starting to throw all of this material at them and saying, hey, we're starting a novel study right now. Start reading. Uh, here's your list of questions. Get to it. There's going to be very little sense of community. And what we know from teaching and what we know about our classrooms is that the greater the sense of community, the more likely it is our students are going to succeed. This is particularly relevant for high school. Students in high school have a lot more freedom around whether or not they actually attend. Of course, they're required to attend. That doesn't always mean that they do. There are some students who will go out of their way to ensure that they make one class and skip the other one. And what that tells you is that the student doesn't care necessarily about the material. What they care about is you. And what they care about is how they feel when they're in that class. And they're never gonna remember your curriculum. You know, like curriculum is such a funny thing because they'll remember bits and pieces, the stuff that really stuck with them, and they'll remember some stuff from certain classes. But I'm going to tell you right now, my English nine, if I weren't like competent at my English skills, I, I don't even remember what book we read in English nine, to be totally honest. But I can tell you that I didn't get along well with my English nine teacher. I can tell you I didn't really like being there and that I didn't want to go and that the first class that I ever skipped was an English 9 class. I can tell you that when I got that same teacher for Geography 12, I didn't show up. I studied for the class in the library knowing that I wanted to go to university and needed that class to get there. So I went and sat in the library and studied on my own. 
I had no sense of community in that room whatsoever. And so those are the things that students hang on to. My least favorite class in high school was math. What class did I love going to the most? Math, because my math teacher was so awesome. He was super kind. He spent time at the beginning of the year getting to know us. He made jokes with us. He drew funny comics on the chalkboard and and talked to us like we were humans and was willing to do the time to help us learn the material. So if you can let go a little bit of the feeling of rigidity around your curriculum and tailor it a little more to meet the demands of relationship building, that's going to be really helpful. If you want more about, you know, why relationship is greater than curriculum, I have a whole podcast on that too. So maybe go back, listen to that because I cite some, um, some studies in there too around relationships. So that might be worth it for you to check out. The next thing that I want to talk about is um, this idea that if you don't like the school that you're at or the position that you're in, then you don't like your career, that you've chosen the wrong career. And I know that feeling because I had one year where I was at a school that I really didn't love being at. It wasn't the students. I always love the students. They are never the problem. They are always your solution, always. But I had a real issue with the way that staff conducted themselves in some situations. For the most part, you know, people were pretty kind and, and agreeable. But as a person who really values human rights, um, I found some things really difficult. And so I had gotten to this point partway through the year where I was like, I don't think I like teaching. And I knew that what I really wanted was to work with young people, with youth, particularly between you know 11 or 12 and 18, 19. I, w- I was really drawn to this age group. And so it was a, a real rude awakening when I thought, okay, I don't think I want to be a teacher anymore because this is really hard and this doesn't feel good. And I don't like the way that things are happening here. And so because I was finishing my practicum at that point, um, I was planning to leave teaching altogether. And at that point, I hadn't fully finished my master's degree in counseling psych yet. So I wasn't eligible to apply for positions in child and youth mental health. So I ended up getting hired on at an alternative school with a really remarkable teacher that I had worked with in youth custody. And so she'd put my name forward and and, um, I was lucky I got the job. And I came into it thinking, I don't know if if I even want to be a teacher anymore. Like, I'll sign a one-year contract and, and we'll see how it goes. And I quickly found that it wasn't teaching that I didn't like. It was teaching at that particular location. The culture of that school didn't align with my own values and with my own culture. And it didn't align with how I wanted to work with young people because mental health is very important to me. Making sure that students feel as though, I mean, that's why I'm doing this, right? Like that's why I'm, I'm trying to talk about it in podcasts and, and um, in a blog because I think that school can be very therapeutic, but right now I think it can be really traumatic. And so if we have classes that focus on being therapeutic, we're much more likely to be able to help decrease experiences of mental health um, concerns in young people. So anyway, with that said, I started at this new school and it was an alternative school and they had feminist values that really aligned with my core beliefs. 
They were um, alternative in that it was all self-paced learning, so young people could come in and learn at the rate that made the most sense for them. We could tailor their entire year, the courses that they took, everything, to be exactly what worked for them. We could modify what assignments they were doing so that it fit with the life that they were already leading. Many of these young people struggled to ever find success in school and were struggling in a lot of ways in terms of anxiety and depression, but they had all of these phenomenal life skills. Some had already been living on their own for a couple of years and had had to navigate budgeting and you know finances and their babies and all of these other things. So we were finally given permission to start tailoring the learning to young people who already had a host of skills that they didn't need, but should count towards education. So it was a real eye-opener for me. It really woke me up because I realized it wasn't teaching that I didn't enjoy. It was that school that I didn't enjoy. So as a new teacher, it's important to start to learn the difference. Because even if you've signed a contract at one school, you aren't necessarily bound to stay there. It's okay to try to find a school that aligns more with your core values. A couple of more concrete things that can be really helpful for you moving ahead. I'm trying to make these things really practical so that it's not just theory. Um, I want you to have like hard and fast practical strategies that you can employ today. So the first thing is, um, Something that I really wish I'd learned earlier in my career, I've only been doing this now for two years, this, this strategy, but try to build your units and your lessons with student guidance. So what I mean is not to abandon your curriculum because students really wanna explore, I don't know, Batman or something, but try to think about how you can engage them in what they want to learn. So for instance, in my drama class, particularly with my seniors, I give them a list of things that we have to cover in the year. And then I give them a list of how, the different ways in which we can cover those things. So for instance, when we have to learn characterization, that's part of the curriculum, they need to learn how to build and develop a character. So I'll give them a list of ways they can do that. One, we can conduct, we can create a play altogether. We can produce it start to finish. You can each be cast as a character in that play. I can direct it on your behalf. And there you go, characterization. Two, we can do a role play where you are able to um, each get a character that I have written for you. And then you have to come in, in role to class every single day and, and engage with the conflict that I introduce every day. Three, we can do characterization by devising a play where you write your own characters. So in that regard, they can then choose, okay, if we have to do characterization, we have to do some live performance. Let's combine those two things. Here's the way that we can do that. So giving students the freedom of choice was a huge wake up call for me. It was a huge eye opener because they were so engaged and excited about what was going to happen next because they planned it. They knew exactly what the entire semester was going to look like. They gave me suggestions on ways to deliver my curriculum I had never even dreamed of before. And it took so much pressure off of me at the start of the year because I thought to myself, how do I move forward, build relationships, 
make sure that all of these kids are, have relationship with one another and also meet the demands of this curriculum in a way that makes sure that I have buy-in. And that's a lot of things to try to tackle. And so I spent my first two weeks of the semester just planning what our semester was going to look like. I already had all of the resources. I had lessons on voice that I could pull out. I had unit plans on voice. I had unit plans on characterization. I just had different end goals that the students were able to choose themselves. I did the same thing when I taught English 10. Um, English 10, a couple of years ago, our curriculum changed. And so it became English 10, composition and new media. I had never taught new media before. I mean, I'd used it, obviously, basically YouTube videos, podcasts, things like that. I'd used all of it, but not in a way that it was specifically, it was specifically woven into the curriculum. So I came in, it was a new school, a new class I'd never taught, and I had no idea how to proceed. And I was feeling really overwhelmed with it. So in the first couple of weeks, that's what I did with the students. I knew what subject matter we had to get through, what skills students needed to develop by the end of the semester. And so I knew roughly how they were going to get there. I didn't know the steps that I was going to take in order to get them to that point. The week, the last two weeks of August, I was racking my brain. Okay, let's try this. Oh, what about this? How about this? And nothing really felt organic or or natural. It all felt like, oh, uh, I have to also make sure that I'm, I'm imposing this kind of a lesson and I have to make sure I'm imposing this kind of a lesson. And then it felt like all the things that I valued about teaching were kind of cast aside. They became secondary to making sure that I ticked these other boxes. Like for instance, making sure that I had a lot of cultural and indigenous representation in my curriculum. That to me doesn't feel like something that should be just thrown in because it has to be, our curriculum should be woven around that. And so I was really struggling. How do I make sure that all of my students feel represented while I'm also having to cover all of these? So I decided to go based on a thematic structure as opposed to a um, unit plan type structure. So instead of going, we're gonna do poetry and then short stories, and then we're gonna do essay writing and paragraph writing and blah, 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 novel study, whatever. I went in and I said, okay, we're gonna do a little bit of all of that in each of these units. And I wrote a whole bunch of different themes on the board, all of which could have a myriad of things tied into it. And so I asked students, what are you most drawn to? Of these themes, what are you most excited to learn about? And they came up with social justice and technology and, cultural misrepresentation in the media. Um, They came up with a whole host of things. Then I said, what does new media mean to you? And they gave me a whole host of things that I hadn't even thought of. I knew obviously YouTube, podcasts, at that point like Instagram, Facebook, those kinds of things were all new media. But then students are saying things like interactive video games and all of these, I can't even think of them all right now, but they had a whole list of things that I had not, that had not even occurred to me that I would have completely avoided in my curriculum, just having not even thought of it. So I really encourage you to think about your students, and this is gonna be a little different, of course, for elementary, 
but think of ways that you can bring them into your curriculum planning because once you have buy-in from students when they're excited to learn the material it takes so much pressure off of you and by that i mean you don't have to sell every single lesson to them or every single assignment and there are going to be times when you feel like you're banging your head against a wall to get this assignment back because you've handed it out to them they don't give a crap about it and they're just you know you're you're like okay great i got three out of 30. three out of 30 because they just don't want to do it and so then you spend a ton of your time trying to track them down trying to track down the assignments encouraging them to submit whatever they've got whatever your strategies are for getting that work in they're going to be distracted during the work hours that you provide in class and it's just going to be a headache for you if you have their buy-in and they're excited to do the work that's half the battle and now you can spend a lot of that time rather than class trying to manage your classroom and say get to work get to work get to work you can use some of that time to work on the next unit plan because it's okay to be a day ahead of them. It's okay to be just one step ahead of the game. You know, you don't have to plan months in advance for each of these things. You can be resource shopping while students are are in the middle of working on things while they're that's going to help you a huge amount because it's just going to free up so much of your time. The other piece of advice I have, and this really ties in with it, do as much inquiry as you can. Inquiry projects are your friend. The more you can set students up to be excited to learn something specifically within their wheelhouse and their interest, demonstrate that knowledge in a unique and engaging way. Again, it frees up your time, but it also creates that buy-in that is really important. It also gives them a lot more than just base skills it gives them critical thinking skills and that's what we should be focusing on now at this point in education we should be focusing on how do we make critical thinkers how do we make students who are lifelong learners and not just students kids who are excited to do the learning and to do the work and that's what inquiry can do for a lot of people there's a ton of really great um, inquiry instagrams out there for teachers who focus on inquiry there's some inquiry blogs I do a lot of inquiry with my classes, so I'll end up posting some stuff around inquiry, particularly in my theater classes. Um, I don't teach senior English, so I have less opportunity to do inquiry with my English classes. I mostly teach the junior secondary English, like English 9. Um, but I do still do inquiry with them. So inquiry is going to be your friend. It really is. And the more opportunity you can give students to just choose assignments that they want to do, giving them a choice out of three or four different things, it's just that's classroom management in and of itself, right? Like teaching is exhausting when you're spending all of your energy trying to get students to just do the work. Free up that time, go and sit at your desk, plan for tomorrow, and away you go, right? Like students are working, you keep checking in. Once every few minutes you get up, you circulate, you check in with all your students, make sure that relationship is maintained and the, the reach is there. Make sure that they feel supported and that you're paying attention. But free up some of that time because time as a teacher, as you know, and you'll know soon enough, is so precious. So if you can do things that just make it so that you're not feeling like you have to badger them all the time, that's going to make your relationship with them a lot better. And it's also just going to help you so, so much to be able to get things done in a day. Because you don't have to be on your feet all day. You don't have to be walking around all day. 
you don't have to, you know, keep telling Timmy at the back to stop talking or you don't, you don't have to do that. Um, there's a lot of ways around that. So that would be like my greatest tip for you. Those are the main things that I wish somebody had told me to try more of when I was first starting out, when I was a new teacher. I'm going to post in the next week or so, I'm going to post a few of my like choice projects on my blog as well. So you can kind of see what I mean when I, when I say give them some, some options. You can use them, you can steal them and borrow them, whatever you want to do with them, modify them. Depending on what grade you teach, of course, there's going to be different types of choice and that's going to look really different for you. But it's also going to help develop decision-making skills and that's a really important thing that we need to focus on as well, is for students to feel like they have some autonomy. Because the more autonomy they have, the more they're going to actually feel like an active participant in their learning. So those are the big ones. If you want more specific like instruction, really, there's not a whole lot because you're gonna, you need to just to get in there and develop your style. Like every teacher has their own style and it doesn't really matter how much I say like, this is what I do or this is how I approach it. Some things are gonna feel like a fit for you and some things are just not. And so even right now you might be like, I am not letting my students design my year. That sounds like a nightmare. Okay, like that's fine. That's what really works for me because I feel like it frees up a lot of my time and it also takes a lot of the pressure off of me from doing it at all at home. And that's one thing that I'm really trying to work out now is balancing my home, my life and, and my, um, like my work life and my home life balance is, as with most teachers, really difficult. And I find that letting students do that planning, one, gets them excited, but two, it also takes so much of the pressure off of me to have it all done when I'm at home. And so I can, when I'm at home, I can just be there. Those are the suggestions that I have. Take it or leave it. And if you have feedback or you want to ask more questions, please send me an email. Like I would love to hear from you. Uh, I'd love to hear if you try any of these things and you find that it's either a colossal failure and you want to read me out that's fine. Or if it is a huge success and you want to let me know how it went or you tweaked it somehow and, and you can let me know what that looked like. Cause then maybe I can change up my style too, to, you know, take some of your inputs, but just remember, you know what you're doing. Just get in there, do your absolute best. And it's going to be great. Like you're going to, you're going to love it. Even if you don't love that school that you're at, Find one where you do love it because there's a reason you got into this profession. There's a reason that you're doing this and try to keep finding your why. Just hang on to your why because that's what's going to keep you going. Attrition rate for teachers is really high and if you are really keen to stick it out, find the school that makes you want to do that. And I've been so lucky. I've had one really negative experience and the other ones have been so positive and like I've worked in some really incredible environments with some incredible people and that's been my why because I now been given the space and the autonomy to do what I love and that's working with young people and to be able to foster an environment of mental health support and awareness and trauma-informed spaces is really something that I care about and now I'm given the autonomy to make sure that my classes foster that, that feeling in students that they feel safe and secure. So um, yeah, let me know how it goes for you. I really want to hear from you. But that's it for today. And I'll be back next week with another podcast. And I'll be back in a couple of days with a whole new blog. 
So I look forward to hearing from you and um, make sure that you subscribe, make sure that you follow me on Instagram at teach.remote.repeat or um, I'm also on Twitter, same, same username or on Facebook at The Contemporary Educator. So I hope to hear from you guys soon. Take really good care and good luck on your first year. Just have so much fun. That's gonna be the main thing. If you're having fun, they will too. So thanks for tuning in and I will see you next week.